Welcome to Trusting the Truth with Samuel Tolley, where we view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. We do not view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world. Are you God's man? Are you a saved man? Weren't you called to righteousness and holiness? It's time to step up. All of God's men must step up. We've laid back for far too long avoided the fight. Now the enemy is strong. The sidelines, they are gone. And the battle lines have been drawn. This is a battle that starts on our knees or on our face if he's so pleased. God didn't call women to lead. Many called to take a stand to stand for our families, to stand for our land. Many call to illuminate the way. Darkness must flee in the light of day. Men dedicated to him and him alone. Men who garner strength from his mighty throne. Oh my brothers, it's time to stand. And when we stand, it won't be alone. Samuel Tolley and Manly Monday, where we like to think about the things of God and from a man's perspective and man's responsibilities to God and his fellow man. And today, I'm going to have the pleasure of bringing Pastor Chris Keeling to discuss the struggles of biblical manhood. But before I bring on Pastor Keeling, let me read a few things about him from his church bio. Pastor Chris is the pastor of Unity and Faith Mission Ministries, a Bible-based non-denominational Christian church. Pastor Chris was born in Houston, Texas, but received his education in California. He accepted Christ as his personal savior at an early age at United God in Christ MBC of Los Angeles under the pastorage of the late Reverend C.L. Moore. Pastor Chris began working at an early age for his uncle at Darling's Cleaners. He then worked for the Los Angeles Unified School District, Northrop Grumman, the United States Postal Service, the Los Angeles Police Department, and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. <clears throat> Uh, for more than 30 years in a variety of specialty assignments during his career. His assignments included, but were not limited to patrol, detective bureau, gang investigator, criminal intelligence officer, youth interventions officer, 
hate crime investigator and community relations officer. For eight years, Pastor Chris worked on a multi-jurisdictional FBI hate crimes task force. He was later selected by then Sheriff Jim McDonald as the department's first ever hate crimes investigator, coordinator slash trainer, where he served as the department's hate crime subject matter expert until his retirement in 2018. Pastor Chris has served in the church in many capacities, church musician, Sunday school teacher, superintendent, trustee board, associate minister, and deacon board chairman. He was licensed and ordained as a minister of the gospel in 2018. He was later called to pastor CB Helping Hands Ministry uh, in Grants, New Mexico in 2019, where he served until he was led by the Lord to organize Unity and Faith Ministries in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. At Unity and Faith Ministries, all age groups will be served in Sunday school, morning worship, and Bible study with a fusion of worship that blends both contemporary and tradition, uh, traditional elements. Pastor Chris believes the Lord blessed him to experience the things he did over his more than three-decade law enforcement career in Los Angeles to prepare him for the service of the Lord here in Rio Rancho, the surrounding areas, and the state of New Mexico. He plans to further serve his community by volunteering as a chaplain for law enforcement agencies, other first responders, <clears throat> and victims of crimes. Pastor Chris has an interest in working to prevent those who commit crimes and lower the recidivism rate for juvenile offenders. Pastor Chris is very familiar working and interacting with people of all races, nationalities, and from all social economic backgrounds. His goal is to continue his service for the Lord as long as the Lord says the same. In every position he's held, Pastor Chris made a point to exhibit his love for God and for God's love and his goodness. He has always exhibited a godly spirit wherever he travels and assignments took him, and he continues to do so today. I have always viewed my career in law enforcement as a ministry and an opportunity to witness and minister, believing that God places his children right where he needs them to be, exactly where he needs them to be. That's what Pastor Chris quote. Pastor Chris has an associate degree in information systems, several certificates in a variety of subjects, and has completed his studies to become a licensed certified chaplain with Chaplain International. He will also be continuing his pursuit of a bachelor's degree in theology. Upon retiring <clears throat> from law enforcement, Pastor Chris and his wife of 35 plus years relocated to be near their two children who attend the University of New Mexico and still reside in the area. Both children have chosen careers where they too can make a difference in the lives of others. Their daughter, a supervisor for the state of New Mexico, Children, Youth and Family Department, and their son, a sergeant with the Albuquerque Police Department. Their daughter and 
excuse me, their daughter in love serves the community as an educator, and they have three grandchildren. They also have three godchildren, two of which are also police officers for the Albuquerque Police Department. And one is employed as an emergency medical technician. The love of God is revealed through family and their entire family is actively involved in the unity and faith ministries. To God be the glory, as stated in their website. And let me bring on Pastor Chris. How you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Praise the God. All right, Pastor Chris, full disclosure, I let the people know that I've known you for, oh, at least 20, maybe 25 years. And at one point in time, we served together at, at New Hope Missionary Baptist Church in Little Rock, California. Yes, but sir. Yes, I sir. haven't seen you in a long time. And um, I went through your bio. Okay. But let the people know. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Before we get going in all this stuff, I always like, particularly when I have a man of God present for him, to usher in what we say with the Lord. So can you give us a word of prayer? Absolutely. Let's go to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. First of all, before we get started, we want to thank you. Thank you for this, brother. Thank you for this conversation, Lord. We pray and hope that something is said or done to encourage somebody today. Lord, we thank you for all you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. And we're just crazy enough to thank you for what you're going to do, Lord. We're thanking you in advance for the things that you're going to do for us, Lord. You said you would never leave us nor forsake us. And, Lord, we believe that right now. Lord, we pray that you will get out of this what you will have. We pray that someone is blessed by what is said. We pray that someone uses this and encourages them to go on and, and strengthen their walk with you. Lord, we believe you can and know, believe wholeheartedly that you will. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So now we can get into it. Amen. I'd like to ask you, um, tell the folks how you got, how, number one, how the Lord got a hold of you, and then how that got intertwined or got you into the law enforcement background. Well, it, it goes back to back when I was a little, little young child. My mom, my mother was a God-fearing woman. She was a music teacher and uh very active in the church. She was a church musician. So she actually taught myself and my siblings uh, to play the piano, the organ in church. We played drums, we played guitars, we played all the instruments, and we are, were a part of the music ministry from a very young age. And so it was pretty much instilled in us at a young age. And you, it wasn't, it wasn't um, surprising to come to our house and my brother Herman would be on the organ and my mother would be on the piano and I would be on the drums and my brother Raymond, who's also a pastor in Los Angeles, would be on the bass guitar and we'd be having church in the living room. And uh, everybody would be outside listening to what was coming through the door mm. and outside giving God praise. And we were having church right there in the house. And some would come in and join and join wow. in. So, and so it was just one thing that was instilled in us in, 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 as a young age. I've been playing for a church since I was 11 years old playing for the, the pastor's choirs, they used to call it, or the sunshine choir, some people will call it, uh, basically young kids. And we were singing uh, children's uh, gospel songs. And it just kind of grew from that. And uh, one day, one day, my mom came home after attending the PTA meeting in regards to how the law enforcement part came in there. 
Mm -hmm. uh, she went to a PTA meeting, and at this PTA meeting, she saw young young people uh, there, and they were dressed in uh, tan tan uniforms, had patches, and they looked like security guard or or officers, and they were explorers, Los Angeles Police Department explorers, and they led in the Pledge of Allegiance, and they 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 stood by the doors, and they made sure things were. Um, cars were secure and things of that nature but they were supervised by what they were called advisors who were lapd officers so my mother got this bright idea to go talk to the officers and find out what these young people were doing and um they say oh they're explorers and at that time explorers for lapd and the sheriff's department they fell up under the umbrella of the boy scouts of america so it was like a branch of the boy scouts of america but they were called law enforcement explorers uh, fire explorers and things of that nature. And so she comes home with this bright idea. And she says, uh, it was my first uh, teachings of what a statement was versus a question. She comes home, she says, uh, Chris, um, you're going to be an explorer. And I go, okay, what's that? And I'm thinking explore, we're going to go out there and explore rocks and, and land and geography and things of that nature. She says, no, you're going to be uh, they work with the police department and I have been in parades and marching bands and I saw them there. I go, Oh, you mean the junior pigs? Exactly my words. Hmm. And, uh, and after you I say that again, I said, junior pigs. Oh. <laughs> and, 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 and that's when I learned that, um, irregardless to what people will call law enforcement officers, I wasn't able to do those things because my mother, Madeir wouldn't allow that. So okay. after I, you know, got up off the floor, and, you know, and uh, massage right. my jaw a little bit. And she said, now, now, let me teach you something. I'm going to teach you right now the difference between a statement and a question. Mm. A question would have been, would you like to become an explorer? But that's not what I said. What I said was a statement was, you are going to become an explorer. Parental and I said, authority. And I said, Yes, ma'am. You're right. You're right. I understand. When do I start? She goes, yeah, your first meeting is next Tuesday. <laughs> and uh, and that be actually began my uh, life being around law enforcement because you, you I was 14 years old and you're going to meetings and they're all at the police department. So you're learning about police uh, procedures. You're learning the uh, radio codes. You're learning the uh, penal codes. Um, you're attending functions like at the forum where you're doing security uh at the sports arena the coliseum major uh places in la where they're having uh, big events uh the roses tournament of roses parade and you'll see these young kids walking with police officers and fire firemen and they're explorers and they're learning how firemen do their job they're learning how police officers do their job and it really plants a plants the seed early on so kids can you know kind of and, and it not at all not everybody become cops or become firemen, but right. in the, in, you learn a lot, a lot of discipline because you go through the academy and you're doing calisthenics and you're running and it's like a boot camp. Okay. And it's a 12 week, 12 week course. And you go to the academy every Saturday and it's uh, every police division has explorers. Mm. And it's like, it's like, it's an academy, like a battalion of young, young police officers in a sense. And it, it, it gives you a lot of discipline and it helps in any, field or career you decide to go in some of us go in law enforcement some of us go into the fire department some become engineers some become uh, mechanics 
but that discipline that you learned during that time really helps in the long run and keeps you out of trouble. It is amazing, man, when I'm thinking about what you said, the the insight that your mother had to get you at 14 before you can get corrupted by the streets. Correct. The, to inject you, okay, into this environment that that that's gonna that's gonna reinforce, I'm sure, the discipline that she was already administering. Oh, amen. You, Absolutely. You know, and, and, and showing you how to navigate through that world that you wouldn't have seen if you wouldn't have been a part of that. That's correct. And I attribute I attribute my uh, everything that I've done and accomplished in life, I, I attribute to my learnings from the explorers as well as her because she had the forethought to to even do that. And she saw she saw beyond be, be beyond the mountain. She saw on the other side of the mountain. She knew that she wanted to do anything she could to keep me out of trouble. And she was doing her part and she wanted to make sure there was other people around me that would also reinforce what she had been teaching me. Wow. That's that's great. Um she was very involved. Great. Very so involved. When you <clears throat> so through you said 30 years in law enforcement? Yes, sir. So during that, I mean, that's that, that's a lifetime for for a lot of people. And sometimes um, I don't know uh, when, when I look at the, you know, a week ago, I spoke with a sheriff, incidentally, from um, from Osage County, Missouri, who happens right. to also be a chaplain to other sheriffs. Okay. Uh, you know, cause, cause I know you indicated the fact that you're, 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 you're chaplain and, and he was indicating to me, you know, that people in law enforcement, of course, they don't talk to as far as some of the intimate things to, to, to the folks in their own department. It's easier for them to talk outside of the department because, you know, if you're in your own department it could be a little right, you know, problematic, right. but you, right. but, but to be able to have those people that you can talk to, um, in another department that has that same life experience and expectancy because everybody needs somebody to talk to. Absolutely. And, 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 and one of the things that seems like the public doesn't get is that people in law enforcement are human too. Yes. I mean, they might leave the, the house, their wife mad at them or, or whatever, just, just, just like all of us. Yes. But we're, yes. you guys are expected to do a job that is so, um, different and, and 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 where you have to be ready on a split second's notice to make adjustments it seems like the public doesn't get it um how i i just said i wanted to see how you navigated through that through your career well my like i said my career started when i was 23 years old as far as being a sworn officer but it actually started when i was 14 when you go back that far so i was able to see how officers uh, uh were in their pr private lives you know, and, and, and also in their work lives. So I took that with me, became a uh, sworn officer, uh, deputy sheriff at 23 years old. Well, the one thing I always attribute to my sanity, so to speak, is God. I always had an outlet, okay? I always had something else to go to besides just at the work. Some people eat, sleep, drink the department. Okay. And, and that's like anything else when you get involved in it, that's, that becomes your life. That becomes mm -hmm. your everything. And, but there's a lot of pressures that come with that. Like you said, uh, the same pressures that a person, that a, that a custodian had with his family, we also have, but the same, yeah. pres same pressure that an engineer has, we also have, but we're still expected to go out into the field 
and deal with people and situations that nobody else wants to deal with. Okay. And then make that split second decision that could either be life or death for someone else or ourselves. Okay. Mm -hmm. But we have, but it, through training, okay, we have to, we have to come to the point realization that that could happen. The realization that we could leave home one day and not come back. The realization that we could kiss our wives and kids mm. uh, on the way out the door and they could never see us again. So it is it's difficult to talk to some people. Like you, you alluded to, talking to people in your department could be an issue. Mm. Okay, But we need some type of outlet. And, uh, and, and chaplains play a major role in that. But keep in mind that some officers, just like some military people, will only talk to people who have been through what they've gone through. Okay. Yeah. So police officers don't talk about police work to non-police officers because they, they, they won't understand. Okay. Well, that non-police officer is the chaplain as well. So yeah. some things that you won't tell a chaplain because they don't understand. Okay. So, so as a, as being a chaplain myself, I've recently actually last month was, was, uh, uh took an oath for the Rio Rancho police department chaplaincy program. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm dual credentials, so to speak, through Chaplains International, which is nationwide, and also mm -hmm. the Rio Rancho Police Department as a chaplain. Because okay. when I go to these officers and say, hi, my name is Chaplain Chris, and uh, I'm here if you need me. And But let me give you a little background of myself. I okay. spent 30, 30 plus years as, a, as, a, as an officer, as a detective, as an investigator, working task force working on hate crimes task force, working gangs, working homicides and things of that nature. So I'm not your typical chaplain. I'm a chaplain that have been in the trenches just like you have. I'm a chaplain that has been shot at just like you have. I'm a chaplain that has been shot. Hmm. Like maybe you have, hopefully you have not been, but there are things that I understand as a chaplain that only I would have, I've only, I've only, I only would have, uh, had that experience had I been a law enforcement officer. So once they hear that I've been in the same predicaments that they've been in, or even worse, that kind of breaks down the wall. Yeah. It breaks down the wall. And it lets them know that it, but, but I still don't force the issue. Right. I'm here. If you choose to talk to me, right. I'm not here to force you to talk to me. Okay. So, so I'm and then a lot of time, I, a lot of time I get, I just sit there mm -hmm. and if they choose to talk, we talk. And if they choose not to, I give them my business card and let them know I'm always available because they may not be ready right. at that moment, but I'm here to let you know that if you are ready, when you become ready, I'm here for you. Cause sometimes they think that as you, you're here to judge them. And yeah. I know I've been there. I've been there. They mm -hmm. think that all you want, all the person wants to do is judge them and critique and, crit and criticize the decision that they made. But I've been in those life or death situations. I've been in those situations where a split second could cost you your life. Okay. So you, you have to talk, be willing to wait and be patient and allow them to talk to you as opposed to you talking at them. I think it's an invaluable asset and the recognition um, that that asset is available to people. 
because, yes. because like I said, everybody goes through different things and then uh, they need that outlet. Um, yes. So now when I knew you, you were the choir director. Yes. I, I didn't know Pastor Chris, you know. Um, but let folks know, you know, how did God move you into the pulpit? Well, actually, um, my mother prophesied this long time ago, and I fought it. She goes, okay. I see you. I see you as a pastor. And I, I was probably 12, 13 years old when she said this. And, of course, at 12, 13 years old, that's not what I'm seeing myself as. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing myself as, you know, an explorer, uh, a, a piano player, a, a, a organ player in the church. Um, and that's where I saw myself. And um, but occasionally I would teach Sunday school and I found a joy in teaching young people. And mm -hmm. the, the question that they would ask that would kind of stump me and make me go study more because they always had a question that, that stumped you. You know, I had this right. one uh, one kid named Chris also, and it seemed like his goal was to stump me every every Sunday school class. And uh, and, and he did. So what, but what that did, that made me study even more because I was studying so he couldn't stump me. Mm. You know, but we have to be we have to be um, cognizant of that. And we have to be willing to accept the fact that we don't know everything. That's right. So I, I learned that from him. And even though he was a young kid, here I am supposed to be teaching him, but he was actually teaching me at the same time. Amen. And um, make me, making me, making me study more. And um, but, like my bio said, I viewed every job that I had when I worked for the the post office, when I worked for um, the uh, cleaners, mm -hmm. and also when I became a, a deputy sheriff, and in all the positions that I worked as, a, as in, the, in the department, I viewed them all as a ministry. That's just okay. how I thought all along, and I always always believed that God would place us where he wanted us and where he needed us at that time. Mm. And so I, I, I even know when, when I took guys to jail, that was an opportunity to minister. When mm. I went to a domestic violence call, even though, even if nobody went to jail, that was a time to minister. When I went to a call of a kidnapping and I'm talking mm. to the victims, that too was a time to minister. So that's how I kind of saw things. Okay. Did I see myself in the pulpit? I did not. Okay. And uh, you and I shared a story early on where uh, Pastor Porter Benjamin called me and he called me and said, hey, I have two two bones to pick with you. One, you didn't tell me you're retiring. Mm. And two, you didn't tell me you were moving out of the state. Okay, And, and I, I knew he was going through some medical issues and I, I could have sworn I, I him and I talked about both of those things, but I just said, Okay, I apologize, and I was humble about it. And I said, uh, he said, well, now I got those off my chest. I need to talk to you about uh, that church in Grants, New Mexico, that I used to, my cousin used to pastor, and they need some help. And I go, oh, I'll drive out there, and I'll help them with the with the choir. I'll help them with the piano and the music ministry. He goes, no, 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 no. You don't understand what I'm talking about. They're in need of a pastor. I go, excuse me? He goes, mm. I go, uh, well, um, he goes, well, you're called to the ministry. I go, yes. He goes, I said, but being called to the ministry is one thing. Being called to pastor is something totally different. Mm -hmm. He goes, 
he goes, well, I know you. I've known you for over 20 years. I, I am a pastor. I know what it takes to be a pastor. And I believe that I you have what it takes to be a pastor. And I said, well, I got to pray about this and talk to my family and pray, pray for all this. And yeah. uh, before you know it, I go out to Grants, New Mexico, which happens to have to have been 88 miles away from my door. And so I go out there and um, I after praying about it, having prayer, prayer about it for a couple months. And uh, I accepted the position as pastor of CB Helping Hands in Grants, New Mexico, um, where I remained there until about, about between seven or eight months. Um, and uh, but I always felt like if I if the Lord called me to pastor, mm -hmm. that I would pastor in the community where I lived. Yeah. And not being willing to relocate to Grants to live. Um, I, and, and then the Lord placed it on their hearts to move to, to Albuquerque. And I was, oh, I was really happy about that. They were going to move the move the ministry to Albuquerque, which is a couple miles from where I live. Okay. And uh, I got tasked with finding a location. Well, once I found a location, they started to change their mind about moving. Oh. And that began the the prayer and the thought about separating from CB Helping Hands and organizing the ministry here in Rio Rancho. And after after about a month of prayer, um, the Lord placed it on, our heart, on my heart to begin uh, Unity and Faith Ministries here in Rio Rancho. And um, we started the process in October of 2019 okay. and had our first first worship service January 12th, 2020, right before COVID. Okay. And, and that's how we that's how we began here, and we've been going strong ever since then. Thanks Amen. be to God. Well, praise the Lord, man. God is uh, moving forward in, in that ministry. God knew what he was doing all the time. When you thought you were going one way, he, he was just putting it together to put it where he wanted it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have to be submissive to his word. Okay. So the struggles of biblical manhood, when I was throwing that out there to you, I'm saying I can go in all kinds of different ways, but I'll just sort of help you, give you a little bit what I was thinking, then you can okay. just run with it in any way you go uh, you know when we were growing up it was a lot simpler to understand this well i would think it was a lot simpler to understand the struggle of uh, a biblical manhood during the normal temptations of life of the flesh um, um, of peer pressure right. and things of that nature and trying your, your your best to live within that narrow path but now we got a whole nother monster out there. <clears throat> there was a time when I could trust, and I have grandkids now as you, where you can put your kids in the schools and trust the school system not to, they might try to indoctrinate your children or your grandchildren with, with an atheistic view of the world uh, where they talk about a non-biblical mindset. But now we, now they got to the point where they're telling kids that they can change their genders. They can change their sexes. They could be, the boys could be girls or the girls could be boys. And, and, and this thing that has jumped into every facet of life in, in our, in our business world, in, in the medical realm, psychiatrists, where they used to say this stuff was uh, mental disease. Uh, I think most Christians would say it, it's sin. 
<clears throat> but now they're, they're affirming things that the Bible will completely say is an, antithetical. And, and the idea, no matter what you a person might think of stuff, the idea of teaching children in kindergarten about sex education, all kinds of stuff, at least in our former home state of California, at least it seems to be leading away with this kind of stuff. Yes. I think it, it, it makes, when I say the struggle of biblical manhood, men have to step up more than ever to me now to protect their families and to try to rein in the culture. Correct. So, so this is this is one of the things that I was thinking about, or warning about, or worrying about. <clears throat> and I want to get your perspective on some of this madness. Well, like you said, back in the day when we were kids growing up, things were more black and white. Mm -hmm. um, there were there were uh, things that we were taught that we were forced to adhere to. Okay, and and and, and over time, people have gotten to the point where they don't want to force the kids to do anything you know they, they want to be their kids friends as opposed to being their kids parents mm. yeah and I, I was in my 40s when my mom transitioned and went on with the lord and uh we weren't friends right and she made it very clear that we would never be friends i will <laughs> always be your mother you will always be my son because you're never going to treat me like you treat your friends mm. okay so she made that very clear in, in my 40s, and I had kids of my own at that time, I and I believed her to the day the Lord called her home. And mm -hmm. I believe that still to this day. What has happened is society has become so accommodating, for lack of a better term, to things that are not of God. Yes. Okay? Uh, and, and, and we, had, back in the day, men were supposed to lead their homes. And yeah. that's how we grew up and that's how we learned. But today, uh, there's a lot of things that are contributing to that problem. One, there's not a lot of men in the homes anymore. Okay. And and, and, and also in those homes, some of those men are not men, they're males. Mm. They're males. They were yeah. born genetically males. Okay. But being born a genetic male doesn't make you a man. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's your actions that makes you a male, just like being a father and being a dad are two different things. <laughs> yeah. Okay? And, yeah. And, you know, the, the, the birth certificate says father. Yes. Okay? The fact that you were able to have a child makes you a father. But neither of those two things make you a dad. Make yeah. you a dad. So, so we have to, biblical men, men that are believers have to, still believe in the word and also teach the word to our children and instill it into our children so generations to come will have that but if you're going around trying to accommodate society and not willing to teach your boys how to become men allowing your boys to run your household allowing your children to run your household that's where the breakdown comes that's where the breakdown comes women can teach boys how to be perfect gentlemen, but yeah. women cannot teach a boy to be a man. There you go. Men, boys <laughs> learn to be men by watching men. And I always use this analogy when I'm talking to young couples and with kids, I go, I didn't just tell my daughter what to look for in a husband, in a dad. I stayed there, 
dealt with all the complicated issues over of life and i showed her yes so she would know what to and i know you did as well mm -hmm. i showed her what to look for in a husband i showed her what to look for in a dad for her children and i didn't just tell my son what to do or how to do it i stayed there i showed him what a man does for his wife i showed him what a man does for his children through being there and through watching mimicking copying what they what they saw made them the adults they are today okay you know when you by what you just said remind me like when i'm looking at proverbs 22 and 6 when it says train up a child in the way mm. he should go and when he is old he will not depart from him that was an excellent point. You training is not just what you're telling them. Training is the example that you laid before them. Absolutely. And, 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 and showing them, you know, it, it's like, I remember if my kid came home and, and, and somebody said, well, you, we heard your son over there cussing or do this and that. And I would say, well, where did you hear that from? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you didn't get that from me. Where did right. that come from? Right. And, and like I said, that, that example of manhood is, is, is something that we can't um, or we shouldn't neglect. I mean, and that's why the society is so strange now where they're trying to they're trying to de emasculate men. Well, yeah. Well, you, you know? got you, you got you, you got you got women saying, I don't need a man to validate me. OK, well, it's not about validation. Right. Okay? It's, it's about working together, okay? We work together to produce a child. We should work together to raise a child, okay? And then like you talked, you, you alluded to California and how they're doing things. I, I, I read it recently how now uh, you have a child who wants to change their gender and they make it known to the school. The school can help them make that change and not tell the parents That's and right. if the parents go against that child and the school district now who has partnered with them to have this child uh what sexual uh gender reorganization or gender yeah gender affirming gender. affirming gender yeah. care or something yeah, yeah. Some euphemism for butchering and yeah, exactly butchering this, this this child's exactly genesis. so if you if you go against that they're saying that the state can now step in and remove that child from your home. AB 957 uh, is, the, is the law that they're trying to push through that yeah. actually, as last I heard, is on Newsom's desk. That is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. They already pushed through another law. I think it's SB 107, whereas, say, if a child from New Mexico or Arizona, <clears throat> one parent wanted to keep the child in state, but the other parent want to, to get out and have gender reassignment, they can take that child to California and child California will not recognize a court order from that neighboring state saying that this child was taken illegally. Wow. They will make it a sanctuary state and they can just take that child and butcher them. And, yeah. and you know, most things in California end up spreading across the country. And, and it starts and there. And, and this, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that people could even consider butchering, I mean, their child 
And, and one of the things that always struck me was that some little kid, you mutilate them, whether it's a boy or girl. And if after they start maturing and growing up, one day might come back to you and say, Daddy, why did you let that happen to me? Right, right. I mean, you're supposed to protect me. Correct. Correct. You know, but but that's it. We've gone so far away from the word of God. Okay. And 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 so many, so many households without a real man in the household, leading the household. Yes. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing right now. You know, the bottom line is men of God need to be courageous. Men of God need to do their jobs. Yeah, what, what they were created to do, and which is to lead the family. Okay, and my wife and I didn't always and don't always agree on everything, right? But there's a way to communicate those things, and as a way, and then we come to an agreement. We come to we come to an understanding, but mm -hmm. that's communication. But when 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 you say, "Oh, I don't need no man," or when the mm -hmm. men, when men themselves, not to put it all off on women, because because men find it very easy to walk away mm. rather than stay. Well, you, we, gotta... you and I both could have walked away when times got hard, but the, the, but the godly man in us won't let us, wouldn't let us. So we stayed and we prayed and we talked. One of the things that I found fascinating that drew, I mean, people don't know, but that my youngest son, <clears throat> maybe, I don't know, five He's about 35 now. About five years ago, he confided in me. He says, Dad, you know, when I was in middle school, I used to have kids that would make fun of me. And, and they'd make fun of me because I had two parents. And, and, I, and, it, and it, sh it, it shocked me. It, yeah. First thing, it, it just rocked me. And then I thought about it. And I said, you know what, son? I wish you would have told me that then. I said, because the only reason why they're making fun of you is because they don't. Right. I said, that's the only reason, because there were so many people that unfortunately were raised without a father and a mother in the home, because uh, that's the that's the balance that God created. That, that That's the way God designed it to be. Right. And they're making fun of you, trying to make you feel better because I mean, make you feel bad because right. you got what they don't have. Whoa. Oh, there you are. It's back, it's back up now. It's back up now. Yeah. yeah but, but it's funny you mentioned that because I remember a call that I got from both my son and daughter. They both went to college here in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And about, about uh, her second year, his first year, I get a phone call from both of them. And normally I wouldn't get a call from my son. I talked to him once a month because he was out there. He's being a, being a young man. Right. And my daughter, I talk to every day. I would go, how's, how's your, how's your brother? Yeah. yeah right, right. Him. Tell him I, tell him I, I asked about him, yeah. but I would talk to her on a daily. And I talked to myself maybe once every twice, once or twice a week, uh, every other week or so, but they called me and this was a call that they made together, mm. which was unusual. And they said, dad, we just called to thank you. Mm. And I was taken aback by it because I didn't have, I'm thinking about what just happened. Did I just make a, a deposit into your account? Did I, you know? <laughs> yeah. and they said, they said, no, no. I said, I said, for what? You're welcome, but for what? They said, well, now that we've left home, come to college, and we're around all these different people from different walks of life, 
we see things in a different perspective. Mm. So I'm talking to talking to other students. They they grew up on one weekend there with this father, this parent. The next weekend they were with this parent, and that went on for their whole life. And then they split the summers with each parent. And when the parents were arguing, they didn't get a chance to do anything. Wow. So 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 that they they had never seen that. I mean, because they grew up in a two-parent household, because they saw you and your wife and, mm-hmm. as two parents, and everybody else that was at the church was two parents. That was the norm for them. Yeah. They didn't even realize that outside of the church, outside of our household, wasn't really the norm mm-hmm. until they went to college and they talked to other, other, other students who had a different story. And it, it, it compelled them to call us and say, mm. thank you for not a, not having us have to go through that. Wow. Yeah. That must have and been a rock. Powerful. Wow. Powerful. It, may, it, may, it, bring, it brings tears to your eyes, actually. Yeah. Because you're like, wow. And, and now you realize at that, at that moment, you realize that your sacrifice was worth it. That's right. It, 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 all going through whatever, it, 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 it was worth it. It was like it was God it. let you know you did what you supposed to do. Yes. And when your when your kids could see it, because they because like when Drew came to me, I didn't I, I didn't know what to say. I was a I was like, I mean, this is just what it, the way it's supposed to be. Right. You know. Right. But yeah. it, it also showed me, like you said, uh, in in the community. Unfortunately, and particularly in the black community, it's like 75, almost 80 percent where they're being raised in single family homes. And I, I, you know, I don't know if we can turn this thing around or not. But uh, I, I think whatever perspective is, like I said, godly men need to step up do the job and, and and when possible we need to encourage other godly men exactly i mean we we started um and then just to address what you said first is about whether we'd be able to turn it around um in light of what's being taught in schools okay in light of what's being laws that are being passed in congress and in local in local uh, uh governments it will be very very difficult in my opinion yeah but Saying that, I said all that to say this: we as biblical men, yes. we as godly men, still have to do our part. We can't can't submit to societal uh, trends, even though society says this is what we're going to do now. We're not going to do here do that here at Unity and Faith Ministries. Amen. We, we had a we had a breakfast a men's breakfast uh, last week where we all came together, and I told the men there. I said, we have to have these meetings because not just for us, but for all the young men that are looking up at us, to us, the young, our grandchildren, our young, our sons, our nephews. So they will know what life is supposed to be like, know how God intended for things to be, because we know that the world is not going to teach them the godly way. The world is going to teach them the worldly way. And we know the worldly way goes against the godly way every time. So we have to have these meetings. We have to have these men's conferences. We have to keep on doing our part 
to make sure young men that may have a man in the house, but when the man says something in the house, hearing it from somebody outside mm -hmm. the household only reaffirms what they're hearing in the household. You know, uh, my son should be able to come to you and mm -hmm. hear confirmation to what I said. And your son should be able to come to me and hear a confirmation to what you've been teaching him. Amen. And, and that's how godly men work together. So, yes, can the change occur? Mm -hmm. It can, but it's going to be very, very slow. Very, very it, It's going to get a lot. It, it, it got worse very fast. Yeah. It will take a lot of time. And I think I think that we, the church in general, are going to have to start looking at ways where we can start reaching out to these young men that ain't got a man in the house. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to figure out, we're going to have to start organizing or looking at different aspects of where we can start some kind of mentorship right. Uh, right. throughout society. And and I, and I think the church, you know, I think the church is going to have to be the hub. I think the church is going to have to be the hub uh, because that's the last line of defense against this right. circular world anyway. Right. <laughs> right. You know, right. So, so, so we have to look at different ways of trying to encourage others uh, besides our own. Correct. And, 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 you know, unfortunately, we have some people that are satisfied with just saying, look, I'm saved. I, I, I live for the Lord. I don't bother nobody. I'm, you know, I'm just waiting on Jesus to come back. And I think the people that got that attitude has got the wrong attitude. Well, yeah, because, because, because the question is going to come. At Judgment Day, what have you done to lead somebody? Right. How yeah, have you we with somebody else. Yeah, we're supposed to be the watchmen. Yes. You know, well, was talking about you know, you know, you know, if you don't, if you, if you tell him what he needs to know, then his blood won't be on your hands. But I'm gonna hold you accountable if you don't. Right. Right. Well, it was it. Well, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, we are. Yeah. Yes, we are. Now they may not always receive the message that we're trying to give them. Right. But our job is to deliver the message. That's it. You know, it. you can't be, well, I've done my part. No, no, no. It, well, what about the next person and the next person and the next person? Because the way I look at it, and just like you, you saw it when we were at, when we were, we were worshiping together, mm -hmm. all the, all of those kids belong to all of us. Yes. You know, Drew, Jessica, they're mine. Yeah. Kristen, Kristen, they were yours. Yes. You know, and, 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 and they, they, and they knew that. Yeah. Because of the way they felt around you and the way your kids felt around me. That's how we're supposed to be in the community. And and, and not everybody we 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 reach out to are gonna look like us. I know we, we tend to focus on kids that people that look like us, mm -hmm. but 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 God God is not a respected person. Mm -hmm. So all kids, no matter what no matter what religion, no yeah. matter what denomination. No right. matter what what what, what uh, uh, ethnicity they are, yeah, what color they, are. the pigmentation means nothing. That's they're all ours. Yes, you know they're all ours. I mean, when I see the kids in our church, and and I see them there, they come up there, they give me a hug, and uh, to them, I'm 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 security to them. I, I know they know they can come to me, and I'm going to take care of them. That's you know, it. no matter what, they don't. Kids don't see color. No, no, they don't see all this stuff that all the man-made stuff that adults put in it mm -mm. you know well Can't actually you know when you get born again into the body of christ like like i the church i go to now 
there's more white folks there than anybody, but there's people of all nationalities and right. colors. And actually, I, I used to have a joke and say, okay, so like when I was going to all black church, said, okay, when I get up to heaven, I'm gonna say, well, which side is the is, is the color church at? Where's black heaven? <laughs> <laughs> you know, where, where, where do I go to meet? What, 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 which, which way do I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, ain't, it ain't even about that. I, I get around brothers that that love the Lord, men of God. And, and that's Amen. all we see is that these brothers love the Lord, and I love Amen. the Lord. So, so, so we in fellowship, we in agreement, we lockstep yeah. together, and that's all it is. Because it ain't about us; it's about Him. It's right. It's funny <laughs> you bring you bring that up. I I was talking to another pastor, and he follows us on um, uh, Facebook Live. Okay. So February comes along, you know, Black History Month, mm -hmm. and he goes, "Hey, pastor, I noticed you didn't do anything for Black History Month." I go, you know what? You're right. I didn't. Um, but I didn't do anything for White History Month either. <laughs> or, or, or Asian History Month or, or Latino History Month. I said, because I said, I didn't even think about it because when I was a, when I was a member of a black church, mm -hmm. oh, you, you showed up in your African attire and, and nothing wrong with that. I'm not I'm not saying something is wrong with right, that. Right. But, but but our church where I pastor. We're the only black family in there. Mm. So, <laughs> so, so it didn't even cross my mind. Right. When he, right. when he said it, I was like kind of caught off guard. Like, you know what? I didn't. And then I started thinking why I didn't. Yeah. Because it wasn't an issue. Because, yeah. What's the issue? You know, this right. ain't about that. Right. Right. And I, I go, I go, and I told him, I said, I can see you doing it. Yeah. Because everyone in your church is African American. Yeah. You know, so if, but I, I can only imagine what I, I mean, granted, I, I would have came here and I'd have had on my dashiki and I would have had on my African attire and they'd have been like, what you got on, Pastor? You know, but, but I didn't even think about it. No. It, it, was, it was the last thing on my mind. Yeah. And, I, and I thought about that. I, I go, so we don't, as a church body, we, sh we shouldn't be caught up mm -mm. in all that worldly stuff. No. You know? I mean, because if if we're gonna get caught up in all that worldly stuff before we know it, we'll be celebrating same-sex marriage. Yeah, we yeah, we don't well, want to go there, and we don't want to yeah. take away anything from from the Lord because it's all about right. Him. And you know, we have a, a society that's segmenting everybody in a bunch of different groups. Anyway, the only thing we're supposed to line up with is the Lord and His Word. Well, but, you I, know, yeah, an hour right goes that. fast, Pastor, and we're 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 Almost about there. to run out of this. So, what I need you to do for me is let folks know how they can get a contact with you or your ministry or whatever, and then I need you to lead us in a closing prayer. Absolutely. Um, we're in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, and you can find us on Facebook Live. Um, our website is www.unity-faith. Dot com, and once you go there, you'll get all the information that you can you need as far as how to get in touch with us, uh, how to tune in. And in fact, if you go to the bottom of our website, there's two icons down there: one for YouTube and one for Facebook. So the best way to get to our Facebook Live is to go to our website, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and the Facebook icon. Just click on that, and it'll take you right to our Facebook page. And once you get there, just like our page. You know, and one thing I want to say before we go, uh, we talked, you talked about how everybody's been segmented and divided over. 
I, I, I mentioned in my sermon yesterday how the left has their ideas, the right has their ideas, but we as Christ, Christ's children, those of us that are Christ-like, that are Christians, those that are of, of believers, are supposed to be right down the middle. Amen. That's where Jesus Christ is, right in the middle, and that's where we should be, not leaning on one side or the other. Amen. Amen. Uh, let us bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this conversation. We thank you for what we talked about, Lord. We thank you for giving us a present mind to come together. Lord, we thank you that, and we thank you in advance for those who will benefit from what was said from this podcast. Lord, we pray and ask those that are out there that are running around lost, that they reach out to somebody that can lead them to Christ. Lord, we ask you to touch everyone that will hear this podcast and actually, actually pass that on to other people who may not even want to hear it, but pass it on to them anyway, Lord. We know you're that kind of God that you're not a God of confusion and you'll fix their hearts like only you can to make them be accepted, accepted to what the word of God says. We thank you for Brother Tolly and what he has done and what he's created. We ask you to bless his family. And we ask you to bind them all so close that one can't fall without the other. Lord, we ask you to bless unity and faith ministries as only you can. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hold on, my hold on, brother. <clears throat> well, this ends another manly Monday. This is Samuel Tolley. And remember, view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. Do not view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world.